This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Again, I knew he'd wear the hoodie. He ordered one not too long after we spoke, and I've, <laughs> I've been wondering. I've been wondering the last couple of days. I was like, is he going to wear it? Would it be inappropriate for me to ask him to wear it? And then I thought... <laughs> And then I thought, do I wear the same hoodie or do I, is that, lo, is that low hanging fruit? Do I got to go for an, another hoodie? And this is my newest one. So I was like, I'm going to, it played out perfectly. Life never plays out how I plan it, except for today. It, this is exactly how I saw it. You know, when you're in the shower and you have an, you have a fake argument with yourself, you know, with someone and you're like, you win an argument with someone. This is I played this out in my mind, and this is how it was going to happen, and it happened. So I'm kind of starstruck right now. I'm so happy <laughs> well, you got it. Well, you know what? Um, I'm actually I I did buy it because uh, I was so impressed with what you were wearing the last time we spoke, Tommy, and I bought it for my son, my Gen Z son. Yes, but I'm giving it a test run. Okay, so I hope he doesn't mind, and and I hope I don't look too foolish you because you know awesome. this is young. <laughs> it's not young. It's crazy. No one at any age wears that. That's why I like my designs. It's doesn't, okay. Good, doesn't good. fit. I made my mom some. Uh, I made my mom some some pants. Uh, I, it's a design I did a couple of years ago. Is the early particle accelerators. And I don't I don't know what the image is from. I don't remember. I think I mean, I think it was from like the 30s or 40s. It's where they put like oil on top of like silver plates or something. I mean, it was like old, old school. How they somehow capture. And if you ever see the images, you'll probably recognize them. They're just kind of like these swirling lines. They kind of curl. Yes. And yes. Um, and I forget where I saw them, but um. But I've seen them before. They're great high-resolution images. I mean, they're, they're really from, like, the 30s or 40s, I think, before even, like, particle accelerators existed. But I took those, and instead of it being black and white, I turned it blue and gold, and I made it symmetrical. And I just have this crazy design of, like, early subatomic particle research. But the oh point of me God. saying that is I gave those to my mom. And my dad, who was the most straight-laced guy in his 60s, he saw them and was like, you know, I might grab a pair of those. So I say all that to say, I don't think they're defined to an age group. Okay. Now, listen, did you, was that another hoodie you were describing or you said a pair of, uh, did uh, I miss something? No, no, no. They're, they're like a pair of pants, I think. Oh. Uh, it's, oh. yeah. Some of, yeah, most of them are hoodies, but it's, I had to turn on the air conditioner because it's getting hot for the first time in like five months and I really wanted to wear this hoodie. <laughs> so, uh, both my parents are out right now. They'd kill me, but I cranked the AC down to like 65. So if my dad oh, walks my in, he's going to chop my head off. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I was like, I want to wear this one. But Well, that that's beautiful, Tommy. And yeah. I can tell you genuinely, and you know, you didn't pay me to do this or anything like that. I mean, we bought it legit- legitimately because I just really liked not only the design that I could see on the camera, but I like the thought that went behind it. And now you've got me really intrigued with that particle physics thing because, oh, you know, yeah. that was my yeah, that's your initial major in, in grad school. And I think I'd have to look at it to be sure, 
But I think what you're describing are the tracks of subatomic particles. They're curled like that yes. because we apply a magnetic field. And if a particle is charged negatively, it, it, it rotates or it swirls one direction. If it's charged positively, it swirls in the opposite direction. So that's one of the ways we're able to discriminate whether we're looking at, say, a proton, or which is positively charged, or an electron, which is negatively charged. I'm, I'm just guessing, as I, I say. I think that's exactly what it is. I haven't seen it, so, Let me, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pull it up on my phone. I think that's exactly okay. what it is. Yeah. It's um, yeah, and then I remember it was just black and white, and I didn't want that, so I yeah, I did like what I thought would be fitting, and I actually took it a high res image of some of Da Vinci's parchment from his Vitruvian Man, oh, and I overlaid it, and I just uh, I made it a negative, and when the colors flipped, it wasn't perfect black and white because the image wasn't perfect black and white, and then obviously the thing I'm overlaying Da Vinci's parchment is not you know it's not just black or just white so it came out to this weird blue and gold and i thought that would be like a cool easter egg like you know take another great mind and overlay it um let me pull it up right now so yeah i can tell you you're ringing all my bells because you're talking leonardo da vinci he is my secular hero of all time because he combines science and art and i mean his i I, I don't know if I told you this, but when I was a kid, I taught myself to write backwards because. No. Th- yeah, did I? I, no, I can't remember. That's but insane. Oh, yeah. No, I, I fell in love with Da Vinci and his work from a very, very young age. I started reading his codices, uh, his notebooks, basically. Mm-hmm. I owned some, not the original, obviously, um, but copies, replicas of his codices, his notebooks. And I just studied them. And I think I still own a few. I've made some moves since then from one house to another. And I think I've either lost them or I've sold them off. But early, early on, I'm talking maybe junior high school. um, I taught myself how to write backwards because when you look at Da Vinci's notebooks, he wrote backwards. And the theory was that he was afraid that people would steal his ideas so that if they they got into his notebooks, which he treated like his diaries, um, he had, you know, he had ideas for all kinds of inventions. And he had all kinds of insights into hydrodynamics and aerodynamics and and mechanic mechanical engineering. And so uh, the theory is that he he wrote everything backwards in mirror writing so that people couldn't steal his ideas. So if I passed a note in class, let's say, uh, I would pass it in backwards writing. And of course, neither the teacher nor a lot of my friends were like, what what is this, Gillen? I mean, what what do you what this (laughs) makes no sense? I said, hold it up to a mirror. And they would hold it up to a mirror, and they'd go like, "Whoa, wow, that's so cool!" <laughs> so, so it wasn't. Oh, so it wasn't just that you were spelling backwards; you were actually mirroring. I was writing backwards. I was Jeez. writing backwards and mirror writing, and, and I still can do. I'm a little out of practice, but I can still do it. I started off by teaching myself how to write my name backwards, and then just each letter, every letter of the alphabet, I just taught myself how to write it backwards, and so I became very fluent. And it was just one of the, you know, look, I was an uber nerd. I still am to some degree. Um, and that just made a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, people thought, oh, gosh, this guy is really nerdy. But um, I didn't care. I didn't care then. I don't care now. And um, I, I just got a lot of fun out of it. I don't know how to say it. It brought me a little closer to Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you. One of the things after all these years, Tommy, imagine this. 
I have been all over the world to I don't know how many countries. I've been to the North Pole, the South Pole, as you know, the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, blah, blah, blah. I've never been to the city of Vinci, where da Vinci was born. You know, Leonardo da Vinci means he's Leonardo of the city of Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci. Oh. And you see what I'm saying? And I, I came this close. My wife actually had a villa she rented for me. And I, this was this was like, what are we, two, 2021? So it's sort of been like towards the end of 2019. And I was thinking about maybe spending the fall of 2019 going there, writing, exploring. I mean, just walking the paths that Da Vinci walked and just being there. And then COVID hit, COVID hit, and it, and it just blew it out the window. But j- literally just the other day, I told her, I said, sweetie, can you can you re redo that reservation for that villa, which is near the city of Vinci? And I think I may do it. I may do it, Tommy. If I do, I'll let you know. Okay. You have Cause that would be like, maybe we could do a podcast. Could you do a say, podcast for me in Italy? I, I was about to say, I would absolutely love to do a podcast with you on, on your pilgrimage. Oh, oh my God. That would be amazing. I was going to say COVID. I was just thinking COVID backwards. I mean, it's kind of, it's a stretch kind of Da Vinci, you know, C-O-V-I-D-D-F-V. I was just, but no, it's, he's, he's always fascinated me because he's someone that seems like, yeah, there's probably still Easter eggs, you know, there's probably still little treats hidden in his work centuries later it's and i was oh i got another one to show you man i've got everybody watching this really wasn't planned this wasn't turning into a show and tell of yeah we always go off on a tangent we always plan on talking about the book (laughs) we will get we will circle around we will so it was and then what i did with it is so the the particle things i um whoops i made yeah so i don't know let me see Oh, what? Hold it up there for a second longer. I don't know if you can see. Wow, that. Tommy, that is just insane. You yeah. know what? I think that um, that wasn't you, was it? Was it like a male model or something? What, the no, guy no, 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 no. That's not me. That's like a. That's, not, that's an artificial rendering. It, 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 oh, okay. It puts it onto one person. Now I'm not. I'm not that good looking. <laughs> All right. Now yeah. listen, listen. I think. And again, I'd have to check it out, but I think what you got there or what you based your design on were what we call um, um, images of subatomic particles going through magnetic fields, like I just explained mm-hmm. a moment ago, in a Wilson cloud chamber. Okay, that's what that's, Wilson, that's Wilson cloud chambers were the original kind of particle detector. And what, and again, I hate to reminisce, but when I was in high school, again, Uber nerd, just keep thinking Uber nerd and uh, you'll get me. Um, but in high school, I think I, I either belonged to si- the science club or I just did this on my own. I was a kind of a lone ranger. But anyway, I tried to make a Wilson cloud chamber. And one of the ways you can do it, what you have to do is you have to, and let's see if I can remember, you, you have a certain liquid. It may be a kind of an oil. I just honestly can't remember. And then you suddenly expand it. And the point is you kind of almost uh, supersaturate or you... You create you create a vapor inside this vehicle, this this vessel that if a particle happened like a cosmic ray just happens to shoot through it, It'll... it will leave a little contrail like an airplane leaves a contrail okay. in the upper atmosphere, okay. and that's what you're seeing. Yeah. In the yeah. th- those are the tracks yes. that the subatomic particles leave, and I just think it's so cool. You have just such a great imagination. That's why I enjoyed talking to you last time. 
And I told my wife, I said, Tommy's just really special guy. And you. Uh, here you go with it. With, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I want to see those pants because I may have to buy a pair. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill you because I actually do have a Da Vinci design. I was going to show you. Oh my gosh! Seriously, go ahead. I'm go literally going to go it. grab it out of my closet because I have go it. it. Doctor G, go, you, okay, got, you go. got a monologue for 20 seconds. Oh, okay. Well, well, Tommy's out of the uh, out of the picture. I'll just say that um, you know I was invited out of the blue to. Uh, to join Tom in his podcast. I knew nothing about him. And then when I heard about his story, I was just really, really impressed. I told my wife, go ahead. I'm, in, I'm invited to do podcasts all the time. I've got to limit the time that I do it in because, you know, otherwise I wouldn't get my work done. But um, Tommy and I had such a great time last time and he's a really impressive young man. So I, I can't wait to see what he's come up with with this. <laughs> with this da vinci design but i almost don't want to see it because uh i don't want to spend more money but anyway we'll see we'll see what happens anyway and i'm sorry I, i'm supposed to fill the dead air um and uh pretty much said what i had in mind so i'm going to just sip a sip some of my hot tea here and hope that tommy comes back quickly and doesn't get lost somewhere <laughs> he went off to get his what in his closet did he say Okay, but that uh, that Egyptian uh, hoodie that he was wearing, I can't, I that Egyptian hoodie that you was wearing, is really cool too. Is that Tutankhamun? Yeah. Is that yeah. King Tut? Yeah, yeah. You know, I went to uh, Egypt. You know what? No, I can't keep telling you stories because we'll never get to the book. But one day Who I'll can, tell you about my excursion to Cairo. No, we'll, and I actually saw the mummy of Ramses II, which is supposedly the pharaoh that Moses confronted when he wanted. When Moses was commanded by God to let the Jews, Jewish slaves uh, free, and you know the whole story about yeah, I've Pharaoh heard. kept refusing it, and Pharaoh kept upping the ante. Okay, well now I'm going to send you locusts. Well, no, okay, now I'm going to turn the rivers into blood, and that that was the Pharaoh Ramses II, and I I had an opportunity. It was actually my very first overseas assignment as a TV journalist. I had just been hired by ABC News to be their science correspondent. So I flew to um, to Cairo uh, under the auspices of the Museum of Science in Boston. I was still teaching at Harvard. And so I they invited me and I went. And it was an amazing, amazing thing. Literally this old kind of dried up mummy that hadn't been on display for I don't know how many decades. And I got to see it. And while I was there, you know, I traveled all over to Abu Simbel to uh, the Aswan Dam. And I almost was arrested in Egypt because uh, I think it was my last day there. Um, I wanted to just film some of the countryside outside of Cairo. And my guide, uh, a woman dressed in Western wear, not in native wear, said, okay, fine. I'll take you there, but just make sure that when we leave Cairo, there are going to be mountains on your left and there's going to be stuff on your right. Don't shoot on the right um, because there are military installations. Uh, just keep make sure you sh your cameraman just keeps shooting left out of the car as I'm driving out of Cairo. I said, OK, that's cool. I'm fine with that. Well, uh, despite that, we were stopped by this um, convoy of young kind of buff angry military guys and um took us into their camp basically arrested us and our and i had a hot-blooded 
kind of Irishman cameraman, you know? <laughs> and he, he just really wanted, I said, and I forget what his name, Kenny, Kenny was his name. I said, Kenny, please. I said, number one, pop the tape. Pop the, in those days we were shooting mm -hmm. on tape. I said, pop the tape in case they want to confiscate it because I don't want to lose all the other stuff that was on the tape that we'd shot. And I knew we hadn't shot anything illegal. I knew in my heart. And in fact, we had not shot anything. I said, pop the tape, Kenny, hide it. I said, and then just sit there and keep quiet because I don't want to land in jail. It's my last day in Egypt. I think I'd been in Egypt for two weeks. Everything had gone hunky-dory. It's just my bad luck on this last day. And... Um, so our guide said that, okay, look, stay in the car. I'm going to go talk to these guys. And we waited. It was like at least a couple hours, Tommy. And, of course, Kenny was getting hotter, hotter, hot. I said, Kenny, please. And so finally she comes out. Okay, she says, just drive away, drive away. She said, I said, what happened? She says, I'll explain. Just drive. Let's get out of here. And then she explained to me that it was in Egypt. It's all about bakshish. Mm -hmm. It's all about bribes. Um, so she, you know, she talked to them, said we were good guys. We were from ABC News in America. And she, uh, you know, gave them some bakshish and they let us go. I mean, that was, so that's my quick story of my, so I'm looking at that Tutankhamun and I'm, and I'm flashing on, I'm flashing on all of that. It's, I have so many other stories I could tell you about Egypt, but I won't, okay, I won't. No, we gotta no. talk about I was going to say, I actually had on for five straight weeks, uh, uh, a military, uh, um, a military police veteran from Vietnam who wow. I, I met through someone, through someone, through somebody. He's come on the podcast. We become friends. He also used to teach a course about Exodus. And so we actually oh, yeah. just wrapped up the other week, did a five part, five Sundays in a row. We did Exodus. We went over everything you just, or, you know, the plagues and everything. It was really interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Crazy. What are the odds? I, I didn't know. know that. I know. I yeah, <laughs> I know. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. this one I made, it was just, I just wanted like the most, I just wanted to make it as gaudy as I could. So I just took the most well, gold thing I could. Well, you know what? It isn't, it, I don't consider it gaudy. I mean, one of the things that I, I notice, even about the, the sweatshirt that I bought from you that I'm wearing, is that when I saw it on camera, I mean, it was very impressive. But now that I'm wearing it, the colors are even more vibrant oh, than crazy. they were on camera. You know, they were more muted on camera. Yeah. But I'm looking and there's nothing Garrett. I mean, it's actually quite it's it's really beautiful and when i you know when i my wife and i said no you got to wear it i said yeah i want to wear it i said but you know am i gonna look silly in it or oh, you know or, and no. so i put it on this morning and i said you know what actually i think i look pretty good it's you awesome know? And it's so, awesome you know <laughs> so i don't know maybe maybe i'll have to get a second one of my but i i think my son would kill me i'd have to get a different one but i gotta tell you and it and it by the way super comfortable on the inside it's like a little flannel yeah so it's yeah. not like one of those cheapies yeah um and I, I i my wife paid for it so i don't remember how much i paid for it but i'm telling you my son son owns a lot of hoodies and we were just visiting him uh not too long ago we were there for about 10 days and um he wore a lot of hoodies while while he was there and he's got great taste mm -hmm. my kids got great taste but i gotta tell you, i think he's gonna be I think he's going to be really excited to get this. I hope so. so. It's his birthday's coming up. His birthday's coming up, so I'm going to buck. I tried to put it on so that I wouldn't wrinkle it. I didn't take any of the tags off, or so I'm, I'm going to wear it literally this one time. As soon as we're done, I'm going to take it off. Up. 
I'm going to pack it up very nicely in tissue, put it in a box, and we're going to send it to him. It's going to be his birthday gift. And I can't wait. And I'll let you know. Next time we Please. talk, I'll let you know what he thought. But Please do. I, I'm sure he's going to love it. Well, that that's why I – because I had, I had ordered a lot of mine that I really liked. And my original idea to order that one was – because when I originally made the design, I was like, this isn't going to transfer to, to like, fabric. This is, like, a, a digital design, and it really only looks good on a screen. I put it on the hoodie, and I was looking at it on the website, and I was like, it looks good, but I don't think it's going to – print well so i ordered it and then that's when i wore it last time when i talked to you because i was so tickled by the fact that it actually printed in like high resolution so yeah it's i i love it it's the more you look at it the more things get revealed in it there's so many layers to it but that's what i like and i think it's because the shiny fabric but whoever you're working with, um, I mean, they're doing a good job. They're, they're, and that that thing is just magnificent. <laughs> I, I love mean, this really, one. I mean, that, this that's... one's ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> so, every, man, everybody listening to this, I swear this isn't an infomercial. We really aren't planning to do it. Uh, we should get we should get down to business, otherwise people. Okay, are gonna okay, start... okay. It's the last right. last one, and then we'll jump to the. Oh, well, you're going to show me? No, you're going to show me the Da Vinci. Well, it wasn't in my closet. I couldn't find it, and I went downstairs, and it was, oh. in, the, it was in the washer. So I pulled it out. So it's wet. <laughs> so. Oh. Oh, okay, okay. So Let what? See. What it is 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 it's. Oh, oh yeah, the Vitruvian man. It's Vitruvian man. Yeah. He's on a backdrop of of DNA particles or strands. Oh my gosh! And then written oh. in a remember the movie Atlantis from Disney. I took uh, I took the 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 uh, Atlantean alphabet, which is obviously completely fictional. And I wrote in between all the strands of DNA, I spelled out an old Buddhist mantra, which is no mind, no body, no life, no death. Because I was just, I thought it was a cool mantra. And it's, uh, and then I took, and thinking of Da Vinci and how there seems to be layers to his work, the more you zoom out from it, so you got the main one on the pocket, but the more you zoom out from it, I don't even know if you can see it, you have to like step 10 feet away to look at it. But all the Da Vinci's that I put together, Yes. It actually slowly forms an eye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because I was thinking meditation, like the eyes, the, you know, the window to the soul. But it actually, you can kind of see it. It forms like a, I don't know if you can see it, but it actually forms oh, like a retina. I do. I see it. It's yeah. in like a big circle. Yeah. I took, right in the middle. Took, and, that, and that square thing is a pocket, you say? Yeah, that's the pocket. And I figured, you know, I'll put the original Vitruvian man on there. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean... That, I mean, so how many, so is that three designs now? I think I've, so I actually took like two years and was making all of these designs and I just couldn't sell them for the life of me. So I had them backlogged and this pod about around December or so, people were saying like, hey man, you need to make hoodies for your podcast. You need to make merch. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I I mean, these designs, I mean, a lot of them are, I'm not kidding, 60, 70, 80 hours of work apiece. I mean, weeks of designing. And I think I've got a catalog of about 20 now, but I made them over two or three years. So I've just had them sitting. And so now I'm uploading them and it's like they're finally they're finally getting the glory they deserve. 
Well, you but, know what? You should go on Shark Tank, man. I, if I could get you on, know what? I would. I, I'm serious. I, I remember this one kid. He designed bow ties. And I mean, it was just this random kid who just had a talent for designing bow ties. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the name of it was, but he went on Shark Tank and said, hey, I want to I want to go big with these bow ties. And, you know, they were so impressed with the designs that they backed him up. And I'm thinking these these hoodies are so unusual. I mean, I the ones that you've shown me, I've never seen anything like them. Well, that's seriously. Right. Yeah. Um, so I hey, you know what? I I'm serious. You should apply. I will. To Shark Tank. I, I 100% you know? will. Mark Burnett is the executive producer, and I'm sure you go online and you can apply. But I, Tommy, do it, man. I and will. then let me know how it goes, okay? Yes, sir. All I want is 10%. All I want is 10%. You can have 10%. That's what <laughs> no, my, no, 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 no. I'll reward, take 10% to Dr. J. No, my, my reward would be to see you succeed with these hoodies because you deserve it. These Thank are you. really. Thank and you, I'm not sir. surprised you spend that much time. These are not slapped together. Even the one I'm wearing, I I keep seeing new things in them. So um, good luck. But let me know. But yes, sir, please do that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's, let's, let's talk just about jump the into the book. Well, let's it, do it. It only, took us, it only took us 25 minutes. But oh your book, gosh. The End of Life as We Know It, it's, you know, it's, it's one thing I think about a lot. The more, you know, I'm only 30 years old. Uh, you know, I remember... 2000, you know, early 2000s. I remember like the click wheel iPod. I remember the touchscreen iPod. I remember getting an iPhone. And now, I mean, now I'm on a, a two year old, your relatively old computer, but it's a MacBook with a 4K webcam. And I've got a 4K TV right here. And I've got all this stuff that even 10 years ago was just, you, you couldn't imagine it. And like what I'm doing, I mean, think about it. I'm making designs on an iPad with images that I've pulled down from 4K and 8K websites to use as editing. I've put it on a website run by Shopify with no overhead, so I don't actually have to buy anything. They only get made as they're, as they're purchased. Wow. Doing a podcast, uploading this high-res, high-fidelity audio to YouTube, BitChute, Rumble, and Spotify. Finding guests such as yourself through Gmail all of this stuff is happening, for, I mean, from this, like, five-by-five-foot area. I'm yeah. manipulating, really, I'm manipulating, well, I mean, that's all of reality is ones, but I'm manipulating truly just pixels, pixels and data points, and I'm doing this whole thing, and it's actually turning into currency, and it's having a real effect on my life. Yes. We're, and that's this is just a microcosm. We're approaching, just like the first chapter of your book, it just this is listing off titles of, of articles we're I mean it, it's a it's a beaten to death phrase but I mean we really are approaching a brave new world like we are approaching the technological singularity I mean it is the end of life as we know it like it's getting you know deep I saw deep fake of Tom Cruise the other day yeah yeah. And I had no and I had no idea it was a deep fake. I was wondering what was so special about the video. I was like, it's just it was like Tom Cruise like meeting Joe Biden in the Oval Office. And I was like, it was at the top of Reddit and I was like, what's so it's just Tom Cruise? And then I and I went down, it's like, man, I can't believe this is fake. And yeah. to me, that is what really kind of gut punched me. I was like, reality is slowly becoming indistinguishable from the synthetic cyber world we're creating. And yes. that's what, for all the listeners, that's what your book really illuminates. It's not just, 
can we fit more terabytes of data into a smaller point? Like that's all the physical side of it. Like the cultural side, what we experience as reality. I wake up, I go to work, I go get food, I stay on the right side of the road, I hold the door. Like our societal structure itself seems to be fraying at the edges. And that doesn't necessarily mean in a bad way, but I mean, it's coming apart faster than ever before. Yeah, it is. And, you know, when I decided to write the book, uh, Tommy, I didn't want it to be a downer. Mm -hmm. I I didn't write it to depress people. Mm -hmm. I just wrote it to inform people Mm -hmm. because, you know, the old saying, uh, forewarned is forearmed. In other words, I think that as we uh, dive deeper into the 21st century, um, people need to be aware of what's going on. And I, I would even go so far as to say, given what I document in the book, and, you know, I, I forget how many footnotes there are, but it, it's like, you know, here, it's like a thousand footnotes. So everything I say in this book is not my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's not, fan- I mean, it, it, it is happening now. I would say the brave new world is already here. Mm-hmm. Um, and every day that I wake up and read the headlines, it just reinforces everything that you're reading right now in the headlines, whether it's on the internet or whether it's genetic engineering or whether it's um, um, surveillance and privacy and facial recognition or, or automation and computers and robots. It's all in this book. And it astonishes me now. I mean, I wrote this book a couple of years ago but it is now so relevant, mm-hmm. more relevant. This is this is a book that is becoming, you know, sometimes you'll write a book and then it becomes less and less relevant with time. This is a book that is becoming more and more relevant with time. And you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I was just, I'm just reflecting on the fact that you're 30 years old. So you would have been born, what, about? Um, August 19... 1990. Okay, how ironic that, it was in 1989 that Tim Berners-Lee, who is now Sir Tim Berners-Lee, right, conceived the ideas of the uh, conceived the idea of the internet. Now, you have you you know I described myself earlier as an Uber geek. Tim Berners-Lee was was just like that. I mean, he was working at CERN, which is this kind of mm-hmm. atom smasher near Geneva, Switzerland. You know, with his little cubby hole, you can imagine him just sitting there, this kind of nerdy guy with a you know, messy desk and just thinking about particle physics and all that. And he came up with this idea of having basically a digital library of information. And he showed his idea to his manager and the manager kind of poo-pooed it and said, you know, just go back to work. I mean, this is, you're wasting your time. You're wasting my, this is stupid. And then it was like, you know, uh, two years later in 1991, when you were one years old, that the internet was actually launched. And, and can you imagine that everything we're talking, everything that we're doing right now in this podcast, everything you described a little earlier as possible, happened in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. In y- your lifetime is a chronicle of the things we talk. I talk about in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon started in 1995, for goodness sakes, mm-hmm. when you were five years old. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos, this adopted kid, um, could. You know, he worked on Wall Street. He'd been kind of a kind of a, a financial wonk, uh, not particularly noticeable. He would have come and gone, but he had this idea of selling books on this brand new internet that had just been created. Right, less than five years old, 
he wanted to sell books to people all over the world and he did it out of his uh, out of his garage and that that simple idea now become has become the amazon that that all of us use now and so everything so much of what i document in this book has happened in your lifetime it is not ancient history although what i do and as you know in I, i divide up the book into four parts first it's the internet then it's what is it? It's uh, artificial intelligence. And the third section is about surveillance. And then the fourth section is about genetic engineering. What I, the, the, each section is started with a chapter I call memory lane, going down memory lane. Because I want people, especially young people of your generation, to understand that this stuff just didn't happen overnight. There, w- there were things that go back in time that led up you know, so for example, the internet. There, there were, there were, there was precedence for the internet. There was a whole chain of events that happened that led to that bingo idea that Tim Berners Lee had in 1989. He didn't just dream it up out of nowhere. You know, before that, there was the you know TV and then radio, and before that, there was other stuff. So, each section I tee up by informing the reader: How did we get here? How did we get to the internet? How did we get to artificial intelligence? How did we get to to surveillance technology? How did we get to genetic engineering? And then the chapters that follow in each section bring you up to speed as to what's going on right now. And it's in our face, Tommy. It's in our face right now. I mean, um, you, you take something like a simple iPhone. And it used to, the the iPhone I have right now. You know, you put your thumb on it to to let you in, so it uses mm-hmm. your thumbprint. But now it's all about facial recognition. I think it was iPhone 10 that was the first one to use facial recognition, and everybody was like, "Wow, woo, woo, hey, that's not that cool, isn't that cool?" Well, now people are starting to maybe it's not such a big wow, right? Yeah. Because now uh, we're talking about police, you know, having special Google glasses where they can look at you, Tommy, through their Google glasses, right? And instantly track you down. Mm-hmm. And if you have a record, boom, it comes out. And so suddenly you, the, the whole notion of you you're walking down the sidewalk on a public street doing nothing, no, doing nothing wrong, harming no one, just minding your own business, taking a nice stroll. And all of a sudden, you know, you are being surveilled uh, for no reason whatsoever. There's no suspicion. Um, that so a lot of the kind of the wow factor that I talk about in this book, I think people, even your generation, are starting to um, to think twice. Okay, it's not all bad, but it's also not all good. Um, so that's what I tried to do. I call it a uh, kind of an, um, a survival guide for the 21st century, because the more you understand what this technology can and cannot do. Uh, the better you're going to be able to protect yourself and your loved ones. Hmm. I mean, you know, I, I talk about vacuum cleaners and everybody would say, well, like the Roomba vacuum cleaner, you know, a lot of people got them for Christmas this past year, you know, Hey, I got a Roomba vacuum cleaner. I had a, I had a friend who says, yeah, I got a Roomba vacuum cleaner, you know, a, a self self-propelled vacuum cleaner that just goes around your house and you can just sit there playing video games while it vacuums your house. And you think that's cool. Well, you know, I talk about that and there are elements of that that are not so cool, um, that are very invasive of your privacy or things that you wouldn't, the headphones that you use, Bose headphones, you wouldn't think, well, what's the big deal? I'm just wearing headphones, listening to music. Well, there's stuff going on behind the scenes, even with those headphones 
like with the uh, vacuum cleaner, you're not aware of. You need to be aware of it to protect yourself. Um, I, I don't know if I told you the story of when we moved from Nashville to Texas, uh, which is where we live now, we live north of Dallas, um, I, uh, I left our TV behind because the person who bought our house said, hey, we had a big old LED TV in the living room. And they said, okay, hey, can you leave it behind? I thought it would be kind of chintzy of me not to, given how much they paid for the house. I'm like, no, I'm going to nickel and dime you. I'm taking the <laughs> yeah. LED TV with me. Like so I left rich. it behind. Taking the ornaments, too. Take the ornaments, too, like the Grinch, yeah. right? But so when we got to Nashville, one of the first things we wanted to do was to have a big LED screen TV. Um, we had a perfect place for it. So we went to some big furniture place, you know, that sells all that stuff. And this young guy about your age, you know, waits on us. And he says, how can I help you? And I said, well, we're looking for a big LED TV. Like, I think, like, maybe 72 inches or something like that. You know, big. Yeah. And... Um, he says, oh, let me let me show you. So, yeah, sure enough, they had one after the other, just a, f- a whole floor of these things. And I said, no, no. I said, we're looking for one that doesn't have a camera or a microphone, okay? Because I had just written the book, and so I was very well aware of how that little TV and that microphone could be used against you. And, you know, ostensibly it's there so that you can sit like a couch potato and say, uh, change to channel 68, please. Yeah. And the TV there, or, you know, you can even do hand signals like, you know, turn it off or something like that. So it seems very convenient. Right. But I knew what those TV, that TV and that little microphone could do to uh, again be used against you. So I said to the young guy, no, I, I want one without that. Well, he looked at me like I had three heads. He says, what? He's a, a TV, you know, smart TV without a without a TV or a camera, I mean, a camera or a microphone. I said, yes, sir, I I would. So he says, so he had to go check with his manager. He came back, you know, came back about five minutes later. He says, I think we have one. So he he led me to the back of the store and sure enough, there was this one TV and didn't have a camera and didn't have a microphone. We got it and we're perfectly fine. You know, I'm I'm okay with the remote. I don't need to talk to my TV. I don't need it. I don't need it to see my hand signals. The remote is perfectly fine. But people are now, you know, so inured to the technology. They're so used to it. They're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, read the book and you'll see what the big deal is. Uh, Little by little by little, we are giving in to the technology that threatens us. Okay. We're doing it in tiny little stages. So that we're not even, good. it's like, wait, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, you add up all those little, little tiny deals and they do add up to a very big, great deal. It's- so anyway, again, that's why I wrote the book, just so people could be aware of, not to scare them, not to depress them, because there's also a lot of good stuff like you're talking about. Yeah. Like yeah. this, like we're able to do this podcast because of that. Yeah. When we left my son the other day to, to drive back here to Texas, you know, uh, there were things that I forgot to tell him. So I, I texted him and then I, I told my wife, isn't this the coolest thing? Just I said, think. because we're, yeah, just like that, because we were like driving across, you know, the desert. There was no, you know, in the old days, what would you do? There were no cell phones. I would have to literally wait to either get to a payphone somewhere when there, trust me, there are no payphones in the desert. So I'd have to wait several hours before I got back to some city that had a payphone. Then I'd have to dig out quarters to buy, to call him. 
Or I just have to wait until I got home for my old clunky phone on the desk and say, hey, son, I forgot to tell you like a couple of days ago when I left you, <laughs> I was thinking of, you know, and that was the coolest thing. I said, isn't this the neatest thing that I can text my son and just remind him of something that I forgot to tell him, you know? So there's a lot of good in the book, but also a lot of stuff that like, hey, be careful, be careful. You can do it, but just be aware of this so you can protect yourself from it. It's to me, I, I always bring it up, but I mean, I haven't even brought up this example before, but I mean, how weird is it that I, I send emails back and forth to Charlie Duke who walked on the moon and I, he finishes his emails and, you know, it sent, says sent from my iPhone. And I'm just like, <laughs> this guy was 60 when I was born. Whoa. <laughs> he walked on the moon. He knew Armstrong. I think he met Kennedy and we're just... Ding, ding. Sure, Tom, love to come on your path. Thanks, man. Could you share it on your Twitter? Sure thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, I know. I it's know. A, it's it's absurd. And it, real quick, I was going to say, everything you're talking about, well, first point, um, these things that just happen, you said walk down memory lane, Ray Kurzweil, who I know you're familiar with, his yeah. book, The Singularity is Near, he has the best analogy, and I, and I read it in high school. But his my analogy or his analogy that I love is that these technological booms, the the big thing, touchscreen yeah. phone, internet, FaceTime, whatever, Instagram, GPS, Uber, they're all like tsunamis. The tectonic plate shifts and there's a yeah. displacement of water. And if you take the total lifetime of the tsunami 99%, if not more, 99.9% of its life is a mound of water moving across the ocean, not really even breaking. There's no white caps. It's just a mound. Unless you have NOAA satellites or buoys or unless you're getting real-time feedback from oil tankers, no one knows it's there. Yeah. What happens when it hits in Indonesia 2004, Fukushima? Like what? Ha it's it's a tsunami, and it comes in, and it can wipe out a city, and it can kill as many people as the Hiroshima bombing in an afternoon. Yeah. A lot of this technology, not again, not to be dooming, because that can be a good thing too, right? Is it's traveling across the the vast ocean of time, and then it crashes all at once, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes. I mean, I remember reading Ray Kurzweil's book, and I remember I was in high school. And I wanted, I had just invested in Apple. I was 16. I had my parents open me an E-Trade account so I could put money in. And I wanted to invest because I remember him talking about the Human Genome Project, which you talk about in your book. And I was able to say it as, you're, as I was listening to your book. I was able to mouth the words just out of memory. Yeah, 13 years. That's how long it took. And the total amount of money, something in the billions. But Kurzweil explains like the amount they got done in the first year the second year i think they did the second 50 percent in like the final 18 months yes. and they had predicted that because of the rate of acceleration of technology so for for like 10 years they were like dude we are not on but we are not on schedule and he was just, yeah. like hold the line yes we are <laughs> and then it all kicked through i remember i was like 16 reading about that and i went and found a company and i was like oh i want to invest in that because right then it was still like two thousand bucks to get your genome done and i was like it's gonna come down it's gonna come down and yes. the company was 23 and me but it was private yep. but it was before its name was even 23 and me and i was like damn it excuse me yeah. 
but now you can invent. But the point is, is like, and now it's just you can just it's it's like a, you know, it's no different than like remember the original uh, poll of Google Earth. Oh, I wonder if I can find my home. I wonder if I can find New York. Or there's Times Square. And then it's just kind of like, eh, you can just do it. It's whatever. I mean, you can now just swab your cheek, find out exactly which continents your people are from, how, how you're going to die, what disease you're going to die from. And it's just, eh, it's just, eh, it's another thing. But with that kind of morphing into the next point I want to make, there's a great video game called Watch Dogs. And it's like there can like there are guns and stuff, but that's not the point of the game. The whole point of the game is... You try to eliminate your enemies. You're like this hacker guy. And you're like going up against a corporation. I mean, it's just the hero's journey dressed up as something else. But the whole thing is just about hacking the Internet of Things. And everything in the oh, game yeah. is technology that currently exists commercially. So there's no yes. sci-fi. So it's just like, you know, if you want to take out a guy, you hack into his TV. You watch what he's doing. You find okay. this guy, this CEO always has a drink in his penthouse after work. And then you yeah. can hack like a nearby like scaffolding and you can yeah. have a scaffolding kind of dance in front of his window and confuse him. And at that time, you can also hack his Roomba and have his Roomba go bump into something in the closet. So he turns around and then the whole thing is just you're manipulating this digital world to the point where you can get whatever you want. Really, it's just a seri- it's like a Rube Goldberg device. You're just yeah. you're just t- tipping things, hacking, just t- t- little non-lethal, no footprint. But I mean, you're you're stealing billions of dollars, and in some cases, you're killing people. But oh yeah, it's to me that's it's what you're it's what you were kind of alluding to, is we we're slowly giving in, right? It's like it's like alcohol. You can go out and you can have like a drink, right? You, okay, I gotta go home after this. You can have two drinks. In college, I used to leave my debit card at home, and I'd put forty bucks in my wallet because I would know that. Logically, after one drink or two drinks, I could tell myself, all right, it's enough money. I'm living on student loans. But I know that I become a different person when I drink, and yes. it turns into this slippery slope. Yes, and I would right. be at the bar cursing myself that I only had $40 because now I can't buy everybody in the bar a round of shots. <laughs> and then the next day, I would like fist bump myself. I'd be like, thank you so much for for leaving my debit card at home. But the point is, is technology is kind of this alcohol. We're just giving a little more, just giving a little more. Yeah. And it seems like we're hurtling towards that. I think it's a perfect analogy. And I think I even use the word intoxicating Mm -hmm. in the book, right? That we are a technology intoxicated society. We can't get enough. The more we get, the more we want. Uh, we want, the, you know, it's not enough just to get a video game. We want it to be more realistic, more realistic. Um, in the book, I, I explain that there are three ways that we are caving in. Number one, it's convenience, security, and entertainment. Yes. That is to yes. say, we cave into the invasions of our privacy for convenience, for security, and for entertainment. So going back, um, um, what you were talking about with that, uh, I guess it was the uh, the video game. Yeah. The hacker. Yeah. Um, I tell a story in the book um, about how somebody hacked into a security firm. Now, you know, um, in the old in the old days, and when I say the old days, I mean you know. <laughs> It's not that far back. I'm talking 20, 30 years ago, right, Is are the old days. And, uh, you know, pretty much just about when you were born were, were kind of the, 
the end of the old days. But are you nicely um, telling me I'm old now? No, that was before I'm, you were no, born. I'm, I'm coming. No, 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 no. Now listen, in the old days, only like companies had security cameras. You know, warehouses, uh, uh, places where there was maybe sensitive stuff going on, and they wanted to protect themselves. So now that's no longer the case, right? Every Tom, Dick, and Harry has a security camera in their home. Why? Because of security. Again, this is one of the reasons we use to cave to the technology. Well, I want I want to protect my home. I have kids. I don't I'm worried about an intruder coming in and breaking in my house, you know, and and, and kidnapping my kid. Yeah, I get it. But what's the flip side of that? You say, Hey, I can be in my office, right? And I can check in on Fido, my favorite pet at home, to make sure that he's not, you know, he's got plenty of water and plenty of food. That's great, but what's the flip side of that? Somebody can hack in and check on Fido instead of you, right? Everything you can do from your smartphone, a hacker can do. Mm -hmm. So you, great, you can check in on your wife, your kids, your Fido, you can uh, increase the temperature of your house, lower the temperature of your house, you can turn on the coffee maker whenever you want, all from the convenience of your iPhone. Great, but what's the flip side of that? A hacker could do exactly the same thing. They can hack into your system and do all those things you find so either convenient or uh, you do because you're security minded. So again, this is, this is what this book is all about. It's just not saying don't do that. Don't get that smart coffee maker that you can control from your iPhone. You know, uh, I'm just simply saying just understand that everything you find so convenient about the technology, so will a hacker find very convenient. So I tell the story of a guy who who basically uh, hacked into one of the biggest companies selling these private security cameras. And he was able basically to um, get the video feed of people who had video cameras in their in the bedrooms of their child's home and their baby, their babies are sleeping in the thing and the hacker can see it. And then went ahead and published all the addresses of all these places. I mean, this is the flip side of the convenience and the security that we use as excuses for caving to the technology. And people simply have to be aware of that. It's, again, that game, Watchdogs. That's one of the opening montages. It's like your teddy, is it? it's like, it's like your teddy bear, you know, that you use to watch your kid. I mean, it's like yeah. it's like corporations are mining that data so they know how your kid moves, what baby formula he likes. And on one hand, it's like, yeah, this is just the cutting edge of like sales and like, you know, market research. And it's like it's also being sold on the dark web to pedophiles. And it's like it's like we are. I mean, it's the knife edge. It's the knife's edge. Right. It's it's the butter knife. Do you use the butter knife to, to toast the bread? Or do you use it to kill your mother? And it's like. Yeah. As we move forward, it seems like the knife is getting bigger and bigger. You know, it's the nuclear bomb or the power of the atom. We can yeah. power, you know, Eisenhower, atoms for peace. And you also put it on top of 70,000 warheads. And, you know, it's this whole, <laughs> woo, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, you know, we could use it to go to Mars and use minimal energy. And it's okay. And it's like we could also, you know, the KGB can use it to poison its enemies. And it's... Yeah. I remember when my parents first got an Alexa, you know? Yes. Me and my dad sat there like like chimps who discovered fire. Alexa, <laughs> how tall is Mount Everest? Alexa, who is the 10th president? Ale and we were just like, just, you know, like morons. 
and just yeah. <laughs> we're watching this thing and then it just you kind of forget about it you just kind of forget about it but then every once in a while you remember it's still there and the microphone oh, yeah. is still there and it's the most unique thing i always find is when i do an episode like we're doing today not even uploaded not search engine optim nothing where i input data you know if i put the title of this as you know the you know the whatever coming technology whatever and then i put in you know today's episodes with dr Ke- and then uh, the search engine optimization keys you know maybe technological singularity progress 5g brave new world you know key search terms i get where that gives me feedback where maybe i get an advertisement for brave new world like sure i get that i put in data maybe even just uploading the episode sometimes i'll upload episodes with no title no nothing just to see what happens and it will still give me feedback mm. what i have found is even if i don't upload the episode just the recording of you and i talking right now i will there has to be something unique that i don't talk about every day so maybe uh maybe da vinci I might get a, an advertisement for like the, the Da Vinci code. I would bet my life on it. Before I go to sleep tonight, I will see an advertisement for the Da Vinci code, and I will see something for a, a cloud chamber, and I will see something for I don't know, maybe televisions, maybe a new TV. It's and again, it's is it good or is it bad? And then I think the more important question is is. <laughs> It's like if you were, let's say you were in the know in 1945. So you were in the upper command and you knew that we were going to drop an A-bomb on Hiroshima. You were led in to the very, I mean, Congress found out about the A-bomb through the newspaper. So let's just say somehow or another you're on the inside. And you might be tossing and turning and doing the equivalent of a podcast. And, you know, you know the A-bomb's good. You know, it could end the war. We could have power too cheap to meter. You know, but then again, where are we going to irradiate this land? What precedent are we setting? And you guys are going back and forth, and it's you and Dr. G, and you guys are sharing stories and bouncing them off each other. But ultimately, one of you sobers up and says, do we have a say in this? And it's mm. no. Whether or not we drop the A-bomb, it's, it's the top brass are doing it. You're watching. And it makes me think more and more do we even have a say in this? And I know that's kind of learned helplessness, that's apathy, and that's not good. But objectively, I could turn off all technology. I could become a Luddite. I could go live in the woods. I could surround my cabin with Faraday cages, and I could do nothing. I think the world is just going to keep flying towards this cliff of genetic engineering, nanotechnology. Does it, I mean, does this discussion even, even, make a dent on that does it even move the needle well you've asked the very question that i asked towards the end of the book um you know the question i the big question i pose in this book is are we headed to a great future or a grim future Mm. that's the question Mm. is it going to be is our future going to be great or grim and to what degree do we have the power to determine that I think some of the things are beyond any individual, Um, but I do suggest that by informing yourself, you can influence the direction Mm. of our future. Mm. You can determine to a very great degree to whether our future is going to be great or grim. And you do that by the people we elect, the the, the people who are in power, who, for example, determine 
who's going to get the funding from the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, these two main bodies that are that are are funding this research. Um, today, it's not just those. We have now billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Elon Musk and so many others who are funding a lot of this research. So how can we influence them? Well, do we patronize them? Do we patronize Amazon? Do we do we buy the stuff that they're selling? Um, our our influence is limited. There's no question about it. And I think there is, just to be honest with you, an inexorability. I think there is an inexorability to our history. Now, as as a Christian, and I, you know, this is not a Christian book. Mm-hmm. This is just straightforward technology. But at at as a Christian, I know that there that that our history has already been written. In, in broad strokes, I know that we we I know the plot, the plot line, you know, it's spelled out in the Bible and it's both great and grim. Mm. We have to go through a, gr- a grim phase before we achieve that great end. Yeah. So it's interesting to me as a scientist, as a hardcore physicist, but also as a devout Christian to see that these two storylines are coming together. That science is actually playing a role in enabling the very narrative that is spelled out in the Bible. I would have never guessed that in a million years. <laughs> there is nothing more terrifying than the idea that of the the well, you, what you just said about Amazon, right? And it's like, yeah, you know. And then the question comes: Well, just don't purchase from Amazon. Well, now we have this whole COVID thing where, it, unless you are an Amazon or a Walmart or a Netflix or a whatever you're not going to survive it means that there's a limited number of places you can shop now just because they're the only ones that exist yeah. well now what happens is right starting in israel and i believe south korea but i know for a fact in israel the green passports meaning you have to have your covid vaccine passport in order to enter places in order to shop places yeah. i mean is that not the mark of the beast i know <laughs> is that not a digital money supply yeah and you yeah. can't partake in the world yeah man if that's not Oh, I, I, that's the that, Tommy. That is what fascinates me as a, again as a scientist and as a Christian, because you know you could take the point of view that the Bible is an obsolete book of fables, and sure. and there are people who believe that, right? So uh, if if you, in fact you believe that, then the Bible has no relevance. Whatever the Bible has to say has less and less and less relevance with time. But just the opposite is happening. If, if, if you really take the time to study this old book that people just want to shrug off because it is so old, you will discover that it is actually more and more relevant. You just, you just, you just cited an example of the mark of the beast that the, the Bible speaks about. Now, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who lived, say, 2,000 years ago and read that. It's like, hey, how how can that happen? The world is a big place. Yeah, how can yeah. you possibly commandeer an entire world population to follow, you know, to 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 dance to your tune? How can that be possible? And at the same breath, they would say, how could two people at opposite ends of the earth communicate Talk. simultaneously? Yeah. It's all nonsense, you know, it's all not. But the point, but the fact is just the opposite is true. I'll give you another example of how the whole notion of the mark of the beast, this climate global world um, leader is becoming more and more credible, not less and less credible. Uh, and I tell the story in the book 
I think it must be in the second section where I talk about, or maybe it's the, I, I forget. I think it's the section I talk about in surveillance where, um, where I talk about the internet of things and all this sort of thing. I, I talk about this company and it's not, it's, it's not an isolated example. I just give this as an example of what's going on now. Uh, a company, I think it's in Wisconsin, you know, in the Midwest. So this is not even in some extreme part of the world. It's like the Midwest for goodness sakes. And um, I guess they, they make these um, uh, kind of employee um, uh, respite places. Like, oh, so let's yeah, say you yeah. live, you know what I'm saying? Let's say you you work in a big company and you work on the assembly line. Well, every now and again, you get a break. Well, where are you going to go? This this company creates break rooms for employees. So there are vending machines, there's tables there. You can just relax, uh, maybe a little TV set. They design all of that, right? So they came up with the idea of like, hey, you know, instead of some forcing some employee to dig into his pocket, put some coins in there or even dig into his pocket and put the credit card in there to get a candy bar during his break. Right. Why don't we just implant a chip into the employee's hand? I think it's like in the thumb or in the crease between the thumb and the I think they put it right here in the fleshy part between the thumb and the uh, forefinger. Let's just put a chip there so that they can just kind of come get near to a vending machine and the vending machine will spit out a candy bar and the chip will keep track of it. And it's, it's connected to the person's bank account so that we can debit the cost of the candy. And all this sounds, again, so convenient. Remember, there were three things, security, convenience, entertainment. These are the ways we're caving to our technology. So here's a perfect example of how much more convenient can be. I've got a 15-minute break. I don't have to go looking for my wallet or my worry about carrying change. I just kind of wave my hand over the vending machine and it spits out whatever I want, right? So... The, I, I quote the CEO of this company as saying this, you know, this has worked out so well for our employees. You know, they can now let themselves into the building without having to swipe a card. They can just wave their hand and the chip in there, lets them in, identifies them. Right? <laughs> Very good. He says, now we're starting to think we're going to expand this now. So we're going to put a little GPS element into this chip. So now we can keep track of where the, each employee is at any given moment. Oh, my God. Do you see where this is going? Again, it's little by little by little it starts with something that sounds so incredibly convenient wow and then it starts getting darker and darker and darker and here's the answer our future is not going to be either great or grim it's going to be a combination of both mm -hmm. the question is is it going to be 70 percent grim 30 percent great or is it going to be 60 40 50 50 or the other way around and each of us can influence it i mean we there's an inexorability there's this stuff is going to happen the question is how much influence are we going to allow it to happen mm. and that's where you and i do have some power mm. you and i can rise up and say you know what enough is enough we're not going to allow these microchips anymore and we can elect people who will pass laws that make it illegal to do that right um i want to read to you from the, just before I was coming on, I, I wanted to refresh my book, uh, my mind, because remember, I wrote this book a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I got to be, you know, fresh for Tommy, right? <laughs> so I'm going to try to read this without my glasses. But this is Zuckerberg in 2016. Okay, so uh, this was just like five years ago. And he 
is making the announcement that Facebook is going to go, is going to have an element called Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. Okay. Facebook has already existed for some while. Now he's announcing this new, again, this new feature, upping the ante, right? And this is what he said in his announcement. Live is like having a TV camera in your pocket. Anyone with a phone now has the power to broadcast to anyone in the world. When you interact live, you feel connected in a more personal way. This is a big shift in how we communicate and it's going to create new opportunities for people to come together. Now, doesn't that just sound like a big kumbaya moment Wow, we can all now, if you're in Paris, I can see what your life is like. And so I can empathize with you and you can be, I can show you what life is like here when I'm eating my cinnamon bun at my breakfast. You know, this is how we eat in Cal in, in America. It all just sounds, sounds so warm and fuzzy, right? And this is how technology insinuates itself, first insinuates itself into its in, into our lives, right? It's got to sound good, either it's got to sound convenient, it's got to sound good for our security or for entertainment, or again, just this kind of kumbaya moment. You know, in less than a year, when Facebook Live got launched, and I tell grisly stories in here, mm -hmm. somebody, some young woman, very troubled young woman, broadcast on Facebook Live her suicide, okay? How does that fit with Zuckerberg's kind of rosy? But this is going to bring us all together. Now we can all come together. It's going to shrink the world and we're all going to get along. No, that technology sells itself to some degree, Tommy, and I hate to say it because it sounds harsh, but it's true. Technology insinuates itself into our lives with a big lie. Mm -hmm. And that lie is usually it's going to sell you convenience, security, it's going to sell you um, uh, security. What did I say? Security, convenience, convenience, entertainment. Security and entertainment. And also this lie that somehow this, this mass technology is going to bring us all together. You know, in fact, just the opposite has happened. If you look at the Internet, and I try not to do this anymore. If I'm reading an article, let's say, on the Internet, I I'm tempted to read the comments but I, I almost don't want to. That's the real entertainment. Is the oh, that's the it's, it's not the video. It's the comment it's it's, it's it's absolutely entertaining, but it's horrifying. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I remember when I um, saw a pastor called T.D. Jakes. He's a, a, a very well-known black pastor. has got a huge ministry, right? The Washington Post invited him to write an op-ed about something. I can't remember. And I, I attended um, an event where T.D. Jakes was speaking. So I heard this story from him firsthand. And he said, okay, sure, I'll write an op-ed for the Washington Post. It's pretty, you know, it's a pretty big opportunity. The op-ed was posted online and he went to read it. He was all excited. Wow, here's my op-ed on, on Washington Post. And then he read the comments. And I mean, they were horrible. And he was horrified. And he called the editor at the Washington Post. And he said, oh, my gosh, wow, what is this? Wow, I didn't let myself in for this. I mean, I thought I was just going to write an op-ed. And she said, don't worry about it. It happens to everybody. Happens to everybody. And, and, and it's like, why have we accepted? What, what's happened is that 
people like Zuckerberg will promise us that this technology is going to bring us together. It's going to create brotherhood and sisterhood and peace and love and joy. And it all sounds so good. And of course, we bite. Say, yeah, let's do it. Why not? We need that. We need more love. We need more peace in the world and all that. But here's what happens, Tommy. And, and it's a recurring thing, theme throughout all technology. We're talking about the internet right now, but this can be said about genetic engineering, about artificial intelligence. It could be said about surveillance technology. But here's what happens. The technology amplifies the good. Okay, that's the op-ed from somebody like Bishop T.D. Jakes, right? It, 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 it allows for podcasts like this where we can have an intelligent discussion across hundreds of miles, right? But then it also amplifies the ugly, hmm. like that girl committing suicide on live camera or somebody, another example that I give is where these teenagers were literally torturing, torturing a, ment a, a mentally challenged young man broadcasting it live on Facebook, just absolutely horrendous. The technology didn't make us do that. What it does is it amplifies everything that's good about us, but unfortunately, it also at the same time amplifies everything that is bad about us. And you know as well as I do, you can keep amplifying the good, and that's great. There's no limit. Bring it on. Bring it on. There's no limit to, there's no limit that we should place on amplifying the good. But the problem is that it only takes a little bit bad to spoil all that good. It only takes one drop of black ink in a tub of clean, fresh water to taint the whole thing. There's no equity in the universe. The universe is wired so just a little bit of good has the same power and even more power than a whole lot of good. And that's the predicament we're in right now with this technology, that we are going to have a great and a grim future. But is the grim going to overpower the great parts? You know, you can go on. We watched a movie last night, a nice little movie. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't professional, but it was a great little movie. It was about a cowboy who was kind of down and out. And he and he finds redemption in, in this dude ranch uh, run by a woman who's just kind hearted and takes him in, even though he's an alcoholic, gives him a second chance at life. And, you know, the cinematography was very dark. Half the time you could hardly see the actors, but the plot line was just fantastic. Redemption through love, right? At the end of it, the credits was Indiegogo. So this, in other words, it was a crowdfunded movie. And I wow. suspect just based on, because I've produced a movie using millions of dollars and I know what it takes to make a good movie. My guess is that they probably made this movie for like $100,000 or less, maybe even considerably less. What I'm saying is, though, but that's good. That's a good use of the Internet, that you can go on online and say, hey, I want to make this great movie with this great redemptive storyline. It's going to make people feel good. It's going to give pe people a, a good feeling of, who feel like they're at the end of their rope and, and, and life is just not worth living anymore. And so enough people said, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. I, and I'm going to give 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is. That's the good part that the internet amplifies. But at the same time, the internet is amplifying all this garbage, all this dark, you mentioned the dark web. I talk about the dark web in there. The stuff that goes on in the dark web is horrifying. So where is this all, it's not a great or grim, it's great and grim. The question, the only question is, will the grim overpower the great? 
or will enough of us who are rooting for the great do what it takes to help the great overcome the grim? And right now, it's 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 going to be mostly up to your generation, my son's generation. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to do as you know, I'm trying to do my part by writing the book, just by you know, hey guys, this is what's going on. It's not the brave new world is around the corner. The the brave new world is at your front door knocking. <laughs> the brave new world. I I used to tell my son when he was younger, and he was just getting into the internet. I I would say, Bubba, I said. You think you're in your bedroom and you're on the internet and you think nobody's watching what you're doing. Guess again. There are all kinds of eyeballs that are watching what you're doing. You're leaving you're leaving a, a very visible track. It's like an animal just leaving a track in the forest. You think you're in the forest by yourself, but you're leaving this track. I said, you may as well just open our front, the do- front door of our house and invite the world in because that's exactly what you're doing. Every time you log into the internet, that is what you're doing. You're opening the door wide of your bedroom, your basement, your, your living room, whatever. You're opening it wide and you're inviting the world in. And you can only keep your fingers crossed that most of those people you're inviting in are good. But all it takes, all it takes is one bad actor to really mess up your life. And so this is the this is the dilemma that I think we face, Tommy, in a nutshell. Whatever we're talking about, whether it's the internet, surveillance, artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, it's both great and grim. And it's going to be up to us to determine what proportion of which is which. That in a nutshell is the, the challenge we face. It seems that one thing I always try to I, I ask myself a lot is has the world always been this balance and are we just is technology shedding light on it you know it's the world's getting crazier it's getting you know people are are being and it's like or has it always been this absurd but now we don't you don't grow up in a hut and never travel more than a mile from your house but if it was a thousand years ago or whatever, and there was, you know, Channel 5 News, every day you'd be like, and Genghis Khan's army, you know, used catapults <laughs> to throw the heads of his slain enemies into a village. And you'd be going, I can't even believe this. And you'd be sharing it on <laughs> Facebook and you'd be going, what happened to just growing up and finding a partner? And instead it's, you know, Adolf Hitler, you know, up to six million Jews are now missing. You'd be like, oh my God. But like... Yeah. Is that the case or has it always been this and now we're just shedding light on it and that can be good and bad. Is there now a, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, the mind is, is the mind has evolved to take note of the negative because when you grow up in a tiny village and it's sure everything's good. Yeah. He brought firewood for everybody and, you know, she skinned an animal and oh, it's all good. It's all good. That guy got eaten by a tiger. Everyone remembers that. And it's this tiny little neighborhood of whatever village of 50 people in some primitive historic era. You all remember that. And it's important to remember that because now when we see tigers, it's like, no, 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 don't go near the tiger. But you only have that one experience. And it's, you know, it's a percentage of all experiences. And it's probably it was probably a set percentage, just law of averages throughout millions of years. But now we have the same mind that is with the same evolution and it's now poised at a spot where 
I'm still in the small village, right? We still break right, humans have like 100 to 150 like a person social circle. We still have the same social circle, but we don't just hear about the one tiger. We now hear about every tiger and every village across the world. So we're getting this jacked up, you know, negative feedback and we're going, "Oh my god, it's all so bad." But is it? Is it just shedding light on it? And then you can go into thinking, is that good, right? We shed light on it, and now are we all going to see it, and are we all going to start acting better? Does the little bit of evil force all of us to be that much better because we have to overwhelm, right? One you know, one drop of ink, a bathtub of clear water. Without that one drop of ink, would every water droplet strive to be clear? Would it just be, eh, it's murky? Or because we know that one water one drop of ink is, can be so negative do people now strive to be that distilled clear water do we have to be better because the world is so screwed up i don't know i don't know and it is again kind of the talk between us two you know getting ready to bomb hiroshima is there much we can do is this just how the world goes forward and you know it's like the drake equation right how come we haven't seen other stuff and then it's one idea is they're either hiding because if you're alone in the jungle at night your helicopter crashes and you're in the middle of nowhere do you start yelling out for help you don't know who's around are the Viet Cong around are there tigers around do other civilizations do they do they sort of grow up do they start calling out to everywhere else in the galaxy or do you you don't know what else is in the galaxy. Maybe we, you know, maybe we zip it, right? Maybe we're quiet. It's like pulling down the blinds during an air raid. You know, you blot out your city so the bombers can't see you. Do they do that? Or is there the great filter? Do civilizations discover nuclear weapons and some get through and some don't? And right now it seems like no one's gotten through. And we have so far gotten through. You know, in an alternative universe, the world ended in October 1962. We skirted by. Does that act as a filter? Does that act as so only the most enlightened civilizations can make it? Is that part of it? It's, you know, we're coming up to this brave new world. Is, you know, is life extension going to jump into the thousands of years? Are we going to colonize Mars? Are we going to, you know, are we going to have godlike AI and CRISPR and nanotechnology? And it's our... Does the negativity, is there a filter that you get to a point and it's like you now have to be such a clear bathtub that you put up a barrier to those droplets of ink? It's like a self, it's it's a feedback cycle. It cancels itself out. Do, are are no. we going to get through the final hurdle, right? We've been jumping through smaller and smaller rings and now we're at this one and I don't know, do we get through it? It's, I've kind of thought before, are there tears, you know, it's... The first tier seemed to be 1945, the A-bomb. We got through the whole Cold War. Mm-hmm. The next tier seems to be pandemic. And it looks like we're going to skirt by. I mean, are there like, you know, it's like pre-med. Are there weed-out classes? Are there, <laughs> are there ochems and molecular biologies? And the universe filters out, and it's only those worthy can, I guess, transcend into the singularity is the singularity is is that really 
is that the hundred med school seats for ten thousand applicants? Is that what the singularity is? And are you going to get through it, or are you going to not? And it's who knows? It's I was going to say it's it sounds like. Don't let me keep you, by the way, because I can keep going forever. I don't want to. I don't know. But 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 hold that thought. Sure. Before before you move on, I'm listening to you. And I think you're asking a really great question, Tommy. And as you were asking that question, are we going to are we going to make it into the next tier? Are are we going to survive the nuclear age? Um, Are we going to survive the the age of the Internet? Um, I was thinking of Arthur C. Clarke, you know, the yeah. very famous science fiction writer. Um, and he said something that has always stuck in my mind. And, and it, it's this. And I think I have the quote pretty well down. Uh, he said, it remains to be seen if intelligence has any survival value. I'm going to repeat mm-hmm. that. It remains to be seen if intelligence has any survival value. And of course, he's referring to the theory of evolution, which simply says that, uh, you know, uh, nature will inevitably favor uh, traits and qualities that uh, enhance your survivability and will weed out uh, traits and and, uh, characters that you might have that uh, diminish your chances of survival. I think that is exactly the question you're asking. And by the way, Frank Drake was on my thesis committee at Cornell, and I took classes from him. So I'm very familiar with the Drake equation. I mean, I, I, I learned it from the man himself at the blackboard, you know, when he's writing it out. It's awesome. And that is, a, you know, it's called Fermi's paradox. Mm-hmm. Fermi's paradox is, okay, we expect so many intelligent civilizations to exist hypothetically in the universe. So where are they? Yeah. Where is everybody? I mean, <laughs> where is everybody? Where did everybody go? They're all MIA. So, and you, you, I think you, you, you explained it very eloquently. Is it because they're hiding? Is it because they have already self-destructed that, you know, inevitably maybe they're, remember we were talking earlier about, the inexorability, there's a certain inexorability about where we're heading with this technology and not, none of us can really stop it. At most, we can try to manage it, you know, 70% great, 30% grim, whatever. So is there is this inexorability played out over and over and over uh, in solar systems all over the universe? In other words, are, are, are there creatures on other planets having this very same podcast? You know who are who find themselves in exactly the same situation we're in, who's seeing this technology escalate and escalate and endanger us, even even as it enhances our survival, even it is as it enhances our lives, it 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 also endangers our survivability. I mean, all it takes is you know a handful of well placed nuclear weapons, and we're gone yeah. as a civilization, right? I mean, we can have all the most wonderful podcasts. We can have all the most wonderful charitable giving online, all the Indiegogos in the world, right? All the beautiful text messages flying between loved ones. But all it takes is 12 of these hydrogen bombs and boom, it's over. That's why I was saying a moment ago about that drop of ink has so much power. How do we manage the ugly power of the grim part of where we're heading? And so I think of Arthur C. Clarke asking that very same question that you are now asking. Does human intelligence, will will we find out at the end of the game that human intelligence had survival value? Or is it our intelligence that is doing us in? 
because we're monkeying with something ultimately that we really don't understand. So that at the end of the day, we're like a kid playing with a box full of dynamite. We don't get what we're doing. We're so proud of ourselves. We give ourselves so much credit. We're so conceited about what we know, but we're not humble enough to admit what we don't know. And in the end, that's what gets us. And again, the Bible says, you know, what is it? Uh, haughtiness before uh, haughtiness uh, before a fall. In other words, pride goes before a fall. So is that going to be the story? Is that going to be the epitaph on the tombstone of humankind? Pride went before a fall, that we were not humble enough to be careful with this technology, to manage it up front. Uh, I don't know. I'm not wise enough to find out. But we will have some power in determining that. When they were testing Ivy Mike, in 1951 or 52, the first hydrogen bomb, which was basically a small building, it wasn't deliverable, not important to this. There were actually bets amongst the scientists in, uh, on the ships, uh, the USS Estes, and then there was like a bunker like 20 miles away. Some of the scientists were actually, they had bets. Uh, it, would, it light the, uh, would it light the atmosphere on fire and burn mm. the whole world? The yeah. best of the best working for DARPA. <laughs> They're going, I think there's about a 10% chance this is it. <laughs> I mean, is that not the kids with the dynamite going, light it, it? How far do you think you can throw it before it goes? I don't know. Billy's got a great arm. And it's like, in hindsight, you're like, if that went off, it's not that you guys have a couple scratches. You're done. It's going to blow your limbs off. Yeah. The concussion's going to kill you. But they're just... All right, Billy, you can throw a mean spiral. So light it, go. And it's like, is that where we are right now? And I was going to say, it's kind of like what you said, the amplification. It's, I mean, that is Captain America. The whole point of the, tr of the serum they inject is what it does is it amplifies your most dominant traits. So they don't want the strongest guy in boot camp because he's kind of a bully. He's kind of a jock. What they want is they want this guy that jumps on grenades. There's this guy that always puts everyone else before him. He becomes Captain America. They inject him with the serum and his traits become amplified. Um, but it got me thinking about what you said just now. Yeah, does intelligence have a survival value, right? Fitness, capital F. Like, does it increase our ability to have offspring? Overall, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is well, you know what? What's you know what's interesting, uh, uh, Tommy, and and I see we're approaching an hour and a half, so maybe we can okay. wrap it up, okay. kind of wind down, um, and I hope we can have more conversations Absolutely. like this because I you, really you love have it. Have a but, say in the matter. We're having more. <laughs> Good. Uh, just a couple of random thoughts. You know, um, if if you look at the highly developed, I'm, I'm, I have like three things I want to say. Sure. And I, I want to make sure I don't forget. But uh, the first thing is that. Um, if you look at the industrialized Western world, that is to say, arguably the kind of the most intelligent parts of the world, right? These are the highly educated people, the high, highly educated population centers. They're actually, their fertility rate is going down. They're not smart enough to even reproduce themselves, for goodness sakes. Okay, so that's number, that's evidence, that's what uh, article of evidence number one. Number two, you, this, I loved your description about you know, the, the, the scientists taking bets about, hey, are we going to light the whole atmosphere on fire and all that? The same thing is kind of going on right now in genetic engineering. And that is, I, and I tell the story of that in the book. There are, 
at least two groups of scientists that we know of, one in California and one in Minnesota, that are conducting experiments that are actually being done against the will of the National Institutes of Health. That's how provocative and controversial these experiments are. What these scientists are doing is that they are creating chimeras, Mm -hmm. C-H-I-M-E-R-A-S, chimeras. These are animals that are part pig and part human on the one hand and part sheep and part human on the other. So these are animals that literally have human cells, not just that they're the, their DNA has been spliced together to create what's called a transgenic animal. That's a whole different ballgame. And again, I explain all that. It's the difference between transgenic animal and a chimera. A chimera is an animal that literally has human cells. So its vital organs are not human-like. They are actually human. And of course, again, the the, 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 the enticement. Remember, we talked about how, how um, technology always entices us for a good reason. So we buy into it. And then once, once we're into it, you know, we, we regret it to some degree. The enticement here is that, you know, people need organs. Uh, you know, I had a friend who I lost because he needed a kidney and never got it. So I, you know, so now that is the, that's the foot in the door. Well, we want to create human organs so everybody who needs them can have them. Okay, great. We can all agree that's a great altruistic goal. But here's the thing. These scientists, just like your your scientists about lighting the uh, atmosphere on fire, these scientists now are amusing among themselves. Hey, what if we don't get the ratio right? What if we have like too many human cells in this sheep? Or what if we have like too many human cells in this kind of this sheep chimera or this pig chimera? You could literally end up, and I have a quote from a guy who admits it, one of the scientists in California who's doing this and he admits, he says, yeah, you know what? If we get the ratio wrong, we could actually end up with a sheep with a human brain. That is to say, a, a, a creature who thinks like a human, who feels like a human trapped inside the body of a pig or a sheep. Okay, my brother, this is not brave new world around the corner. This is brave new world just busting through your front door. And let me end with this, let me end with this observation. When I was at Cornell, as a grad student, okay, um, I had the opportunity to be mentored by s- scientists who were part of the Manhattan Project, okay, uh, which was the project mm-hmm. that created the world's first atom bomb, as you know. So people like Hans Bethe, who got a Nobel Prize mm-hmm. for uh, figuring out how the sun, why the sun shines, he was the head, the top guy at the theoretical division of the Manhattan Project. He was the top Jeez. brain. Okay, Jeez. Richard Feynman reported to him. Good all right? Lord. Yeah. All right. And I also knew Richard Feynman. That's a whole other story. Edwin Saltpeter was another theoretician on that. And I could go on and on. Just the who's who. Of the, and these guys were already, by the time I was a grad student, you know, they were already getting older. So they were like in their 60s and their 70s, okay? And what I found, and this is what I want to leave you with and, 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 your, and your listener with, is almost without question, without exception, these scientists who helped create the first atomic bomb because they knew it was going to end the war and it did so that was the good thing that was the great thing but the grim thing is that they realized afterwards what they had created what they had unleashed on the world and to a person those scientists had enormous remorse Mm -hmm. and they did everything they became you know they joined peace groups uh 
uh, like the you know the uh, what is it the uh, scientist the International Union of Scientists uh, and other groups like that who are now um, uh, advocating for peace, and they are just so racked with guilt. And we're seeing the same thing now. And I talk about the guy who invented the like, you know, the, the, the thumbs up thing on, on Facebook. He regrets it now because he, he realizes what he unleashed on the world because people will now do heinous things just to get thumbs up, just to accumulate likes. And now he like disavows himself from the invention. He says, I'm, you know what? I am so sorry that I invented this thing. We're seeing the same kind of remorse recapitulate itself now, Tommy with the technology that is being unleashed now. So what does that tell us? Rather than do something willy-nilly and then feel bad about it afterwards, how about this? How about giving it some thought before we do it? Just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should do something. And that's why I wrote this book, because I think the more people in your generation, especially the young people who are going to who are going to lead this world, you're going to be a leader, Tommy. You already are. You've been through a tough journey in life, but that's part of your journey. And I really believe God intended you to go through that because that toughened you up and that wisened you up. Okay, that's part of your journey. That's not anything to regret. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a leader, and I want people like you and your generation, my son. I want them to be fully aware. I want them to go into this brave new world with their eyes wide open, not with their head in the sand. Because if your generation goes into this brave new world, the 21st century, with its head in the sand, okay, then it will be 100% grim. It will be a 100% grim future. Our only hope, Tommy, is that you and your generation of leaders are going to help bring some greatness Mm -hmm. to the future and to tip that balance so that maybe it is 90% great and grim and only 10% grim. Because I'm telling you, it's only gonna be because of you and your generation that we can can look at this technology with a hopeful heart and to say, yeah, there's gonna be grim, but this new generation is gonna help put a lid on that grimness that's always been there. You read the Old Testament. People were behaving then as they do now. Nothing has changed. But because this technology is amplifying the bad, the grim, we need you and your generation to put a lid on it, to suppress it, and let the good that comes from this technology overwhelm that grim. And that's why I love talking with you, uh, Tommy. That's why I pray for you. That's why I thank God for you. I think you're a bright light. You Thank talking you, to you, and I mean this sincerely. Talking to you gives me hope, Tommy, that we can look forward to a future that is not entirely grim. Thank you, but has a real beautiful element of greatness to it. So I, I just want to end there and just once again thank you. I just, I just feel right now more than anything. I guess what I'm trying to say to you in my kind of roundabout way is that I'm just feeling enormously grateful, grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation with you, grateful that you are you, grateful that you have found these just wonderful creative ways to express the gifts that God has given to you. And I, I don't know if I'll live long enough to find out, but I do believe you have an awesome destiny. And I just want to keep encouraging you to 
to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward and not backwards because you're going to be a blessing not just to me but to the entire world one day and i want to thank you for that thank you sir that, that absolutely means, that means the world to me and um well I don't, I don't think we can't have more conversations now i think i think it's our duty i think we have to, <laughs> i think we have to do more let's do it well you you know who to call the I, chief my wife just yeah, yeah, set sure, it up yeah. and I'll, I'll be there yes sir i was gonna say before i i lose track of this thought and then we'll cut off on this yes is 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 the is the escape clause of the drop of ink in the tub does does evolution select for is there an out and is that breaking away and settling a new planet and creating a separate tub of water so if there is a drop of ink and it spoils that one you have a backup is that what the universe selects for is that i mean what is the very first thing after the spermatozoa or the spermatid or whatever it is yeah, uh, no, it goes, into, yeah, it yeah. goes into the the egg or the oocyte or the I can't remember. It's been yeah, oocyte. Yeah, you got it. You're not forgetting. <laughs> What's the first thing it does? Splits into two. Yeah, is Earth? Are we going from Earth to Mars? Is that the very first? It just happens on a billion year scale instead of every second. Are are we the cell? Are we going through mitosis and meiosis right now? Wow. You know, wow. I mean, think about it. What does it do? It shoots out fibers, but everything starts yeah. separating. What are we doing? Elon Musk's rockets, they're going up. We're getting better at landing. All right. We've put a space station up. We've been shooting rovers over. All right. The ground's there. It's all there. You know, Elon Starlink satellites up there. Okay. We're putting data up there. We made a little hop to the moon. All right. It, it works. We know humans can do it. Yeah. Are we getting ready? Is it the cat wiggling its butt getting ready to jump? Is the cell dividing? And if we wow. divide, the original can die, and that one can divide again. Is that is that the limiting factor? You know. Can I tell you? I'm going to send you. That's a brilliant question. And let's let's pick up our next yes. conversation with that question. But before we do that, Tommy, I'm going to send you a an op-ed I wrote a few years ago for Fox News on this very subject. And what I'm asking you to do is to please read that okay. op-ed so that when you, let's start our next conversation with that, just ask that question again, but having read that op-ed, okay. because that is a very profound question you're asking and that deserves its own discussion. All okay. right, my brother, so okay. <laughs> you have a great day. Yeah. Oh, also, I, we didn't even talk yes. about it. I did, I did listen to that podcast episode you sent me about the tuning forks, but we'll save that for the oh. next one. I loved oh, it. Okay. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It, I loved it. But we'll save oh. that for the next episode. Dr. G, I say this from the bottom of my heart. I love you, man. You're a cool guy. I got nothing but love for you. It's, it is a special thing to talk to you. I ended up did talking to Miss Carvis. We exchanged emails. Yes, so we established I, yes. that. So truly from the bottom of my heart, I have nothing but love for you, Dr. Gian. So thank you very much, sir. Your book, The End of Life as We Know It on Audible. I'll put it in the description. It's fantastic. It's a little bit terrifying, but it's it's enlightening. Is what it is. There is no opinion. Yeah. There is no agenda. You just no. lay it out. These are exactly. the facts. And um, part three, we will get back to it. Thank you, sir. God bless you, Tommy. Love you, you back. as well, Dr. G. Thank you so much. Goodbye.